Three, two, one. We are live again, technically at time of recording, Codecast Season 3, Furious Competitor Series. Uh, interesting topic we're going to talk about today that I think we've is probably the most interesting from the fact that it's one that I think the least amount of people in our audience have ever even known exists. Uh, to my own you know, negligence per se, I didn't realize how big of a world what Ryan does is. He'll explain more about it, but it is my friend, Ryan Downs. Ryan, welcome to CodeCast. Thanks. Glad to be here, man. This is exciting. I didn't know I was a furious competitor until 30 seconds ago. That's Fair enough. This thing we always have is the mantra of anyone willing to jump out on the water and start their own business is a furious competitor, period. I like it. I like it. So as much as people think, you know, like, right now this is funny because we're kind of feeding into the stereotype where people that think that aren't self-employed to people that are self-employed think we just sit around, drink bourbon, and talk all day on the couch. That's normally not what's going on, but today on this Friday we're feeding into the stereotype just a little bit, um, but it's all in good faith. Uh, Cody learned my vice through my wife, so yes, we're having a little bourbon. <laughs> um, you know, Ryan, so I guess, first off, in the world of revenue cycle, can you just give, because you can explain this way better than I ever could, of exactly what Real Partners focuses on. Like, can you give us a broad spectrum of revenue cycle and like what it actually is? Because to the unforeseen eye, they just think like, healthcare facility gets paid, that's it. But there's so much more into it than what people ever think about. Yeah. Yeah, this could go in a million directions, right? But so Real Partners Consulting, uh, yeah, my organization, our mission itself is pretty simple. It's to help healthcare providers reach their full potential. Uh, And we do that through exactly what you said. It's through working with revenue cycle departments. So uh, it's funny, as I was just telling you earlier, Cody, you know, usually when I am given the spiel on Real Partners, it's to somebody in the industry. So it'll be be interesting to see. uh, We end up uh, down a little Rev Cycle 101 track here for the audience who's not in the industry. But yeah, revenue cycle, so what is it? More or less, it's, it's everything that goes into making sure healthcare providers, so hospitals, health systems, physician groups, making sure they're getting paid what they're owed for the services that they perform. And there, there's a couple different ways to, to look at it, but uh, basically there is a, a million and one things that have to happen in between the time a patient either schedules a service or appears for a, a, a non-scheduled service all the way through until where uh, you know your, your insurance company the government or and or you yourself are paying that bill interesting it, I guess because the general I would just think like nothing's really happening until after like they've cut me open sewn me back together and then like they send a bill but obviously there's so much more that happens prior to that I guess you mentioned even to the point of scheduling something can you once again never even knew that existed can you walk me through like the things that I and probably most of the other listeners don't even know about in that regard. Yeah, I mean, well, from a, a there, there's a million things I won't touch on, but I'll touch on as many as I can. But yeah, from a, a revenue cycle perspective, even just uh, on the scheduling front, uh, you know, the organization has to know, you know, before they cut you open, Cody, what is your insurance company going to cover in the first place, right? So there, there's a, a commonly there's a common term in the industry of medical necessity, right? So is the service you're coming in to get medically necessary? Because if not, your insurance company insurance company's probably not going to cover it. Yeah. Uh, in which case, I need to let you know, Right. hey, you're on the hook for this. Yeah. And if I don't, I being the, the healthcare provider in this case, if I cut you open without letting you know and without getting 
uh, an authorization from the insurance company, well, I'm eating that, right? So I just did that service for free. So before I even get you on the books, I got to make sure we're going to get paid for that service. How rampant was that happening? Like, I'm assuming, like, how often is that actually seen? I'm, I could, you could tell me it happens all the time. You can ha- tell me it never happens, and I would believe either one. How often is uh, like a something being deemed medically necessary, or, 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 like, or, or what? Yeah, more or less. Like, hey, we're, we're something slips through the cracks, and it's like the provider ends up having to mm-hmm. eat it because mm-hmm. someone just didn't do their job, or gotcha, etc. Gotcha. Yeah, uh, often. Uh, and this is where, you know, if you talk to the providers, the payers are the bad guys, the insurance, yep. the Blue Cross, uh, you know, go, go Google, you know, at uh, United Healthcare AI lawsuits right now, and you'll see all the, the things about really? uh, how they may or may not be purposefully denying these claims, or maybe not purposely, but ne- with neglect. Really? Uh, uh, yeah, denying payment to healthcare providers. Uh, so there, there becomes this game, but even if you uh, eliminate that, if the payers were playing by the book every time, there's there's still a significant amount of meat on the bone usually. Um, I think I would have to look, gosh, I don't even want to quote numbers right now because I, I don't want to say I'm wrong, but um, th- there's a, a surprising amount of, of dollars that are denied no matter where you go, even with the best facilities. And then I would say about uh, 2 to 3% of your net charges, and there's a difference between gross and net, but two to three percent of what really you would expect to be getting paid in cash is getting written off because one of those avoidable things was not avoided. So, really? so they brought, yeah, so, so Cody came in and I forgot to get his services authorized or it was deemed not medically necessary or I forgot to send the bill within the first X number of days and if I don't do that then it doesn't get paid or I, I coded it wrong or there's a billion different reasons that the, the payer is going to come back and say hey, we're not paying this. Never knew that. Yep. Like you would just think because like, I guess with details of surgery are just so specific that you think everything even down to the paperwork relative to let's just say a surgery right is been thought over time and time again. But I guess once again you're moving at a million miles an hour right because anytime you ever go to a hospital let's just say those places aren't ever calm. Let's just put it at that. So. Yeah. I, I'm just shocked at, and I guess there's also, would you attribute it more to like, not negligence or stuff falling through the cracks, or just the system being so big and so fast that there's just no way we could catch it all? Yeah, and complex and ever-changing, right? Mm. Healthcare, you know, we all think, we probably all think our industries are all super unique and they're the most complex and most challenging. I think you and I are, uh, finances and uh, and healthcare, I think, are truly complex. Right? Sure, People yes. need help in those areas, I think that's, fair to say um, but but because they're ever-changing and because they're they're always complex uh, and, and frankly this the scales in terms of resources money technology are in favor of the payers and not the providers uh, healthcare is often a step behind so there's a lot of uh, hard-working passion people there there's all of them are incredibly hard-working it's 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 crazy uh, so it's certainly not a negligence thing or a lazy thing most of the time, right? It, it just is trying to, to keep up. And sure. as soon as what, you know, it's a game of whack-a-mole is what a lot of healthcare, healthcare provider leaders will tell you, right? So you solve this problem, you, you knock that mold down, now you're no longer getting those denials, boom, something new pops up, right? Now you got your quarterly uh, um, press release from Blue Cross saying, oh, by the way, we changed the rules on this. 
effective immediately. And if you don't change your technology or your processes to keep up with that, well, it's going to slip through the cracks. Up comes the next whack-a-mole, you fix that, and it just continues to change and change and change. It's, it's, there's a bit of a game. I can only imagine, because that's, like, a lot of people think, like, hospital, like, everybody in there is employed by a hospital system, let's just call that, but, like, there's different, like, surgeon providers, small groups that are probably four or five people with two back office people, so inherently it's almost impossible to be able to maneuver that much change that quickly over and over and over again, Mm -hmm. and I'm assuming a lot of these things are capital outflow stewards, like, well, we're going to cover that still if you have this, and this maybe a large ticketing item and you got 35 days of source one, et cetera. Like I can only imagine that. If, I can see why providers have a, uh, let's just say difference of opinion uh, when it comes to health insurance companies and how things should be done. Yes, we're, we're saying it very nicely yeah. right now. Yeah, there's a, so I've, I've gone to a, a handful of conferences recently which are that the providers and, and vendors like myself trying to help the providers and you know, rarely do health plans step foot in there in fear of oh I'm sure you know getting getting uh, tomatoes thrown at them. That's I would equate it to the, you know myself and a bunch of other finance friends and someone from you know either the SEC or the IRS walks in with a badge that says like hey I work for and it's like <laughs> come sit down for a second so they're. You know, and this is so interesting that all these things slip through the cracks, and I just am thinking of the time I had um, had a chance once before to, just in passing, um, have a small coffee, five, ten minutes, with a CFO of a large hospital that we all know of in Chicago. And I was like, wow, this place must absolutely print money. Hmm. And he uh, chuckled. He goes, what percent do you think of people, or what percent of bills do you think they actually get paid? And I go, 90 plus percent? And he chuckled and goes... My friend, if that was the case, this place would look like the Taj Mahal. And so it's, yeah. and I just never knew, I thought it from patients not paying like the part that they're responsible for, but I guess like this little factor, like two or 3% that gets slipped through the cracks. So you modify it like and how big the healthcare system is in the US and you've got a billion dollar easily set up here that everyone's trying to solve and figure out. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that patient piece is becoming bigger and bigger, right? It, you, it, when I started in the industry, we didn't think much about the patient portions, but as high deductible plans become yeah. bigger and bigger, and then with scale, the $1,000, which used to be $100, and now you've you got these, these big um, deductibles, it is becoming a bigger and bigger piece, and there's a lot of some right, some wrong media out there, even down to like TikToks now, yeah. like here's how to get out of paying your bill. A- and when you do think like a lot of people like oh my gosh these these big health systems yeah they're raking it in no most healthcare providers right now are trying to stay alive a lot of them are operating in the red getting help from the government yeah um you know luckily we have uh, some critical access hospitals that you know if they do, if they shut down in in a rural area for example the community is in trouble. Yes. Right. They have nowhere to go. So, so there are ways to, to kind of help get funding there, but they're needed. It's some of these places are just trying to break even. And you know, if you if you look, M and A has been huge in the space for the last five years and longer, specifically because a lot of these places are falling apart. And then the, the behemoths are trying to bring them in, but that just brings new problems, frankly. And, uh, yeah. Long story short, healthcare providers are not. Uh, as an organization, they're generally speaking not making big profits, if any. 
it reminds me of, uh, there was a hospital in Indiana that shut down and like the community was outraged. We're like, now we have to wait 45 minutes to get to the next closest hospital, which that is a true life or death situation and 45 minutes to receive care in a situation where it's a critical situation. Like that does have a mortality rise to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. I mean, there's places where, you know, they only have two ambulances, right? And yeah. If you, uh, so kind of a, an unfortunate theme we're seeing right now is some of these some of these health systems are shutting down specific wings. So let's use like an easy example. If for some reason, you know, your baby delivery unit, your, your OB is not profitable. And from a business perspective, somebody tells you, hey, if you shut that down, you'll become profitable. And if they have to do that to keep the rest alive. Right. But the place to deliver then is only 45 minutes away. We got to take you there in an ambulance. Well, let's say two of those happen in the community. There goes both your amb- ambulances. Well, Ryan's down the street having a heart attack, and there's no ambulance going to get him. Right? So, like, the, Man. the, the impact um, from a monetary perspective coming down to patient care, we're going to, I think we're going to just continue to see it. Um, if there's some sad stories, we don't see it as much here in the Chicago sure, area. Right. Right? We have tons of great health care, but again, it's not because they're bringing in the big bucks. It, it, to, to sidebar here, too, Ryan, as you mentioned, um, with patients not paying their part, like, is a code cast disclaimer, we're <laughs> heavily against it. Like, don't be a dick. Uh, pay your stuff because you think you're helping you, but you're hurting everybody else in the same process, right? Where it's like, everyone wants all these things for everybody, but they don't want to pay into it. And they're like, well, I, but, but I don't want to, like, I came up with the idea, so like, I don't want to pay it, somebody else should pay it, right? Like, it's, it's a domino effect, right? And I get it, too, right? Um, and I will say on, on top of that, make your make sure your insurance company is paying their portion. Um, you know, there's there's different regulations and litigation that's been in effect recently to try and educate patients better. We're a, a long way from it. I, I hope that someday it gets built into even kind of elementary or, or high school levels of here's patient financial literacy. Yeah. Like what is the difference between a copay, coinsurance, and a deductible? If, if I asked most people, even in the healthcare industry, like, do you truly understand your the, the health insurance that you have and you use? Most don't. Truly, most don't. Like, it, it, even I have to double check stuff. You know, I I see a cardiologist, right? And I, I would I want I go there as preventative care. In my mind, it's preventative care, and, and my insurance company covers preventative care, like a primary care. Sure. Visit. They don't cover that. They don't consider it preventative care, even though I do. Right. right? So there's, there's things <laughs> there's things like that where, well, I'm going to go double check. I'm going to get them on the phone, and I'm going to see if I can get them to cover. And sure enough, they won't. But, uh, but yeah, eventually, pay your bill. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Help, help, keep, help keep these places afloat um, as we battle through some, some even tougher times uh, post-COVID. If I could ask, then, like you mentioned, like it hope it, it hope it gets better, and I 100 agree too. I the public school system is not the greatest for teaching real life skills a lot of times, right? And I think even college systems too don't teach the best real life skills. I you know, I think I mentioned this once before on a podcast. I've got a pretty good degree from Loyola University in finance and economics, and I use one percent of my degree in a given day, which is shocking. But if you're if the uh, donation hotline's listening. Uh, like I've always said, I will give back my diploma. You guys can scrub me from the record mm-hmm. if I get 15% of my tuition back. And uh, my phone line's always open. I haven't heard back. Now, this kind of goes to real partners. Like, 
it sounds like you've got a vision for this. Like, can you walk us through the transition of, hey, obviously you're at a pretty prominent place prior to starting Real Partners. Like, what made you do the jump, right? Because a lot of guys normally that do like these jumps are later on, but you took it earlier than the average person starting something like that from what I would typically see. That's, uh, I mean, that's good to hear. I, I don't know. I, I never really thought much about whether it's early or late. I will say, um, as it relates to time, I think with a lot of things in life, everybody's trying to wait for the perfect time. Mm -hmm. You know, take whichever corny yep. saying you want, right? The perfect time is always now, or like there, there's never a perfect, Correct. there's never a convenient time, Correct. right? There, there's, there isn't. And, um, you know, I think with other stuff in life, I just realized life is too short. Um, if this is something you want to do, it's only going to get harder to do down the line. And, and I was a lot of things. I'm very fortunate, very grateful, right? I, I have a wife who has a, a good job and health insurance, so you know, yeah. I got to start my company. I, we don't got to worry about that. And um, I, I had a great support network around me and a, a couple of mentors that kind of helped me make the push. Luckily, now I've been able to kind of, you know. Uh, uh, do the same with some others and, and give them the, the push and so far they're happy with it. Hopefully, you know, knock on wood, it stays that way. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think if the, if the question, if I remember was more along the lines of, you know, you're, you did this a little sooner, what made you do it? I think I just eventually got to the point where it was, there's never going to be a good time. Just, just try it now, get the most you can out of it. And what's the worst that could happen? Yeah. And even like even knowing like, we could sit there and let anxiety take over our brain and then not act on it, but like I'm sure you've also like did just walk in there like oh let's see what happens like calculated out like if this goes wrong and like still said okay let's go for it here. Of course, yeah, yeah. I set some parameters, right? And I, you know, if by a certain time certain things weren't happening, at, you know, the, the place places I'd worked at before, you know, the, the place I spent nine or ten years at the beginning of my career, I, I was pretty confident they'd take me back with open arms. Yeah. Um, and there were other opportunities, you know, would they be my dream job? Probably not, but they would be fine. And, and, you know, if your dream job is to start your own company, well then nothing else is your dream job. Correct. So, um, yeah, there, there were, there were parameters. There were some, I, I got, again, lucky, lucky with some soft landings where I had some, some conversations beforehand on, Hey, if I did this, might you be interested in, in partnering on stuff? And I had some soft yeses. So I, I had kind of started the business before I started the business in, in terms of knowing that I had some, some likely sales Yeah. Um, once I actually you know, legally set it up. So. We also, you know, I want to be, you know, jump in here to state too that uh, it's also not luck, right? You can get like a good start, right? But like it's not enough, like one first, you know, client is not going to be enough to carry a business for 20, 30 years, right? So I don't want anyone to believe like, oh, Ryan got lucky, quote unquote, or it's like... You can carry it for your first year, but then maybe you still have to keep growing this thing, right? And then, oh, yeah, it's another one of those like tip, pick your favorite saying, right? Let better be lucky than good. Yeah, you create your own luck or whatever. Yeah, I think, I think there is something to creating your own luck to to some extent, especially in business. And um, yes, but you do need a little bit of both. Like I think it's you could you need a little bit of luck. I I think I did, and uh, right time, right place, a few times. Totally. gives you the extra kick you need to, to move forward. And you can also say too, like being a really good subject matter expert in your field, being at that place, being able to have the skill to then bring it in and like, you can get it to the front of the line, but if you can't push it over the line, all it is is a missed opportunity at the end of the day. 
Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. You got to be obviously if you're thinking about starting a business, you better be, be pretty good at <laughs> right. it, right? Good enough. And um, you know, I will say, I think I worked at a startup um, before I started my own, and I kind of realized, and, and when I looked at some other people who had done what I, I eventually did with Real Partners, it's, you know, we're all just trying to figure it out. Yeah. Right, and, and you can be humble about that. You can be successful, and, and if you're humble about that, and say, "I don't know it all, but I know enough to help you." Yes. Uh, and, and so there's still value here to be had. I'm not going to oversell you. Um, like it, it, both can be true, right? You can totally. be figuring it out as you go, but still be adding value to your your partners. Hundred percent. I think there's the term "fake it till you make it" gets way over pushed, and so it's like to the point where people lie about what they're capable of doing, that's not good. But if you're like, I know 80%, like I've done, you and I have probably both done the same thing where it's like, I know 80% of this and the other 20% I can probably figure it out because I already know so much of it. This is weird little quirk here I have to understand, but like I can get there. But when you don't know, when you know 1% of it and have to figure out the 99, there's not a whole lot of value in the room for error now becomes so big. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean that, like actually that's exactly what you're talking about is part of the business model at Real Partners, which is something I, I I see why the way I'm trying to do it now hasn't been the way it's done before. Mm. Uh, and it, it's more technology-based and, and remote work-based and stuff like that. But you know, I think we talked about how there's a billion things that happen in revenue cycle and how it's incredibly complex and always changing. So even to know 80% of, of one little thing is hard to do. Sure. So. Uh, you know, with a lot of any industry, consultants, advisors, whatever. Um, generally speaking, when a client signs a deal, you're going to get whichever consultants are available at that time. Yeah. You know, some of them maybe graduated college yesterday. Yeah. I never and, thought about this, but that's so true. Yeah. So, so they're not. Most of the time, they're not true subject matter experts in what yeah. you need. But those subject matter experts are out there. They do exist. Maybe they didn't 20 years ago, but now there are a lot of me. Yeah. Right. There are small companies who are really good at certain things. And, and so the model I'm trying to grow and, and the vision I have at Real Partners is really to kind of disrupt the industry and, and change the way that consulting and advising is, is uh, approached and staffed and, and executed. Ryan, could you speak to the, the nature of what real partners consulting like what do you guys actually specialize in yeah so this is uh this is something i fake it till you make it uh learning along the way this is something i've been getting some feedback on actually because i thought part of my value prop was um do, do we need yeah <laughs> one second we're gonna take one quick pause really fast sorry first ever tech spin so ryan if you could just yeah Sorry, we're doing it live off-premises today, so making sure your computer's plugged in is really important. But uh, I guess part two inside of part one, um, Brian, if you could, yeah, just go back to like, what is real partners like? What is our specialty yeah. in here? Yeah, yeah, that's what I started start to say before our technical difficulty there. It's, it's funny you bring it up because it's something I've been thinking a lot about recently, right. so you might have to bear with me on thinking through this because I actually thought part of my value prop was the fact that I do not specialize and, and mm. to, to explain that further the, the the concept i had was well if i was a, a cfo or a, a vp of revenue cycle and a leader in in the, these industries wouldn't it be nice if i just had a trusted advisor that i can come to 
say, here's what I'm working on, here's my challenges, here's my goals, can you help me out? And so that's kind of the space I was trying to play in where I, I just say, hey, let's just have a conversation. I'm not going to sell you anything. Right. I'm just going to listen. And, and the way that I can be of value to you is I've built this network, the Real Partners Network, where I've kind of vetted who I think are the best in the, the business in terms of different vendors, yeah. technology solutions, subject matter experts, other small consultants, uh, so that when you come to me with a specific problem, I can give you a true subject matter expert. So it kind of goes back to the differentiation between if you go to a big consulting firm. Yeah. Granted, I was this guy, right? And sure. I like to think I did an okay job. Correct. But I'd also admit that, you know, me as a 24-year-old figuring it out for you was not and never will be the same quality as someone who's done it for 30 years. Right? So if I can give you the person who's done it for 30 years, you'd probably even be willing to pay a premium on it. 100%. But guess what? You don't have to, right? Because I don't have a bunch of overhead. Correct. I don't have a bunch of W-2s. I don't have a big office, so I can keep my costs low. So so the value, uh, uh, that's kind of the, the vision I have to, to be able to be the front door to revenue cycle to introduce you to a true subject matter expert or the exact right technical solution you need or you know the, the right outsourcing partner, whatever it may be. Right. But what I found was, uh, although I still think there's a ton of value in that, the initial conversation doesn't seem as valuable when you just say, hey Cody, love what you're doing at such and such health system. I would love to hear more about what you're doing this year. You're a busy guy. Like, okay, I don't see the value in that. I'm not gonna have the conversation, right? But if instead I say, hey, are you having problems with the denials that we talked about, right? Is, yeah. Are these payers really taken away from the money that you deserve? Right? Or, um, you know, are you going through some vendor selection process right now and you'd like a hand in figuring out who's really good at certain things? Or um, how, how's your, your operations right now? You, are you as efficient and effective as you can be? So, so those are, I was as never a sales guy. Yeah. And so the, the tips that I've gotten from some success, successful sales guys now has been, more along the lines of you need to come in with a few things. Even if you can offer them everything, right? you need to come in with a few things. So so now I'm pivoting a little and saying, you know, denials, prevention, and management is what I've always done. Yeah. And that's true. And that's what I'm really good at. And sometimes that's what I'll deliver without passing it to right. somebody else. Performance improvement, process improvement, and, you know, operational excellence is something I've done as well. Yeah. And now this vendor curation is what I... Uh, is what I like to call because everybody hates RFPs, requests for proposals. If, yes, know, if yeah, yeah, yeah. In your industry, yeah. Um, you got to fill out these crazy long documents, and yep. the people filling them out are the people trying to get the job, right? So it's like they're not. So gonna, you're incentivized to kind of overstate what you're capable of doing, technically, exactly. correct? Right. Yeah, yeah. Of course, and I've filled those out, right? I've wanted yeah. the job, so I know right. what that's like. And I'm right. not saying people are doing it unethically, but in the same way that you know you, you might. You're gonna write a resume in the best way possible. Hundred percent. Like it's inherently moral hazard. You're putting like dollars in front of somebody. Yeah. Like don't touch yeah. those dollars. And, and there's some companies who have done something similar to what I'm talking about right now. And right. From what I've heard, I don't know anybody there directly, but from what I've heard, and I'm not gonna say any names, the the brand and both from a provider perspective and a vendor perspective, the, the, both sides of who they would pair, it's not good. Um, there, there's a lot of concerns of some under-the-table deals and incentives, right? Because right? some vendors aren't willing to, to get on board or, or, or pay. Or yeah. Some providers aren't willing to pay knowing that they're just always going to send you to the same person for a certain thing. Sure, sure. So I think, they're, they're, I think it's right 
for the taking. I think there's a lot of value to be had there, and I was just trying to, you know, scale it enough to where you do, you have enough on both sides. You have enough of the vendors, you know enough about them, you have enough of the providers who can give you the referrals, reiterate yeah. what you're seeing to say, yes, that, that vendor is good at what they do. You should recommend them for X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Uh, so that that's kind of the space I've been trying to get more into recently. In 100% honesty, I like once again, I was like, this thing is so big. There's got to be something interesting inside of here that I just didn't realize. And it's like, wow, you get, like there's so many different complexities to this that I just, no one would ever think that that exists, but it absolutely does. And it's like, if you can just come in and like make the change for it of like helping 1% improvement of like these things on a rev cycle, like that is extremely large numbers of value that just added yeah. there alone. Yeah, because again, the scale, right, of some of these organizations, and not all of them, but right, some of the big organizations, we're talking billions. Sure. Um, not in profit, in, right. in top line, right? Um, so yes, if you can help them capture, capture even less than a percent more, you know, we're, we're talking in some places a, a whole new wing, right, or, or very expensive totally. machinery or the, the next big robot in surgery, or just keeping up with your staffing shortages, which is a big, big issue everywhere totally. right now. Um, getting in the right talent. So yeah, the little tweaks can make a big difference. It's interesting that people always think like you either have to be for profit or non for profit, but there's a lot of times that like you've got a cool situation of where even though it's a for profit business, it actually does trickle down to help in a lot of where it's like, hey, by me coming in here, sure I'm getting paid, but everyone's gonna win on the back side of this thing because people get better care in this. You guys get paid more and it's an overall better experience for everybody top down. Yeah. I so it's distant, right? Like very admittedly so, right? Sure. It is very distant. But I want to believe it, so I'm going to believe it. And, and I and it, it's there, right? Yeah. It, it's true. Um, and I am a softie when it comes down to that stuff. So it, it, that's part of what I've seen with this organization, too, is it, it's harder, not surprisingly, right, to talk to the CFO of a $10 billion organization yep. than it is to talk to one of a $10 million organization. Yeah. So um, I've found uh, you know, some of those smaller organizations, they don't quite have always the, the resources to afford some of the things that would really take them next level, but being able to work with them and help them is incredibly rewarding, more so than I, I ever knew, because when I worked at a big company, we had big clients, sure. right, for the most part. Um, <clears throat> and, and seeing some of these organizations where you know, you're coming in and the, the doctor is married to the fifth grade teacher uh, of the kid who came in to pediatrics unit, whose dad is the softball coach of the doctor's kid. Yeah. And, like everyone knows everyone, and it. it uh, so, the the when you do something good there, it kind of trickles down. Right? Totally. And people are actually rooting for. Totally. Uh, the the systems there. So, that's where I um, I wonder if that's you know if we talk again in a year about this, I wonder if we'll find that I I felt more rewarded in those smaller uh, areas and that's where I end up playing but we'll see Dude, right I guess this has been awesome and obviously we always say with any any business owner we interview in here if they're under their first 10 years we always want to have them back on in the year 18 months just to see because we always like we're always learning and evolving like what we thought two years ago versus how we think now is always on an ever-changing scale to close that we our favorite question I'm sure you've heard it a million times People love giving unsolicited business advice. 
I always feel like it comes from a lot of people that actually don't own a business. Ryan, in, in our closing nature here, can you give us your worst piece of business advice that has ever been given to you? Worst? Oh, man. See, I, you, uh, I, for the audience, I didn't even know Cody had a, a podcast until not too long ago. And so, of course, I listened to a couple and I heard him ask this. And yet, I did not prepare an answer. Okay, what's the the worst advice? Well, yeah, because people you know, best piece. Everyone's podcast is best piece, but yeah. the worst piece. Uh, well, it kind of comes back to some of the stuff we were talking about, and I have heard like sell it before you have it, fake it until you yeah. make, like the bad part of fake yeah. it until you make it. So yeah. in in my instance, especially with what I've been trying to build, that I was talking about a little bit, right? Like. I, <laughs> Go get basically the, the advice I've gotten from more than one person. Unfortunately, is go get the providers to come in and say yes, I want help picking a vendor before you actually have vetted the vendors and to give them an answer, and then go figure it out afterwards. And you know maybe I could or go sell the project and say yes, I have an anesthesia coding subject matter expert that's perfect for this. Hang up the phone, crap, googling anesthesia like sell it and then go do it. And it, it you know, not surprisingly, it's coming from salespeople. Yeah. Uh, and you, like, I get it, and it's tempting, but no, it's just not me. Like, I totally. you, would, you can only get with it for so long before it's going to come back and clip you at some point too. Right. That's it what has I've to come too. back and clip you. And I am pretty certain that, especially the those who know me, any provider would be like, you know, I, I like to do video too, uh, and not just phone calls when I'm in, in meetings. They would see it on my face. Don't. They'd be like. You look sick to your stomach. <laughs> yeah, it's because I'm lying to right, you. Right like, now. Like, I'm, I'm not the best liar. So, yeah, that. Um, do with that what you will, I guess. But, Ryan, one of the things um, we talk about a lot here is playing the long game, right? And the guy like that that's sure. going to just lie his way into there, like, we'll win in the short run sometimes, but in the long run, the guy who's like, ah, I just can't do that, is the one that'll be standing 20 years from now saying, you know what, it took us maybe another year or two longer but we're still here and it's worth a whole lot more yeah. because people trust the name behind it right it's all his brand yeah i mean it, that's that's what i always say to you is like the, the the quickest way for me to go out of business is like to give a bad recommendation right it's, it's to set you up with somebody who i say is good at something and i haven't vetted them and then they're not so <laughs> it's funny how like 80 percent of business skills i always think are transferable or it's sure. like it's for so sure. funny um, Brian, it has been such a pleasure having you on here today. This has been wildly insightful. I've actually thought it was awesome. Um, I learned a lot more than I ever thought I ever knew was even possible in this world. Um, tip of the iceberg, man. Yeah. Tippy tip. I, we might actually have to do a part two on this because I think this is, because it blends so much of finance and healthcare together and it's like the reason most people go financially broke in the America is because of healthcare. And there's so many things that I'm sure like, you guys are helping figure out that can alleviate some of the pressure on that. But give that as a teaser for you guys for part <laughs> two and uh, maybe another pour of bourbon. So Ryan, thank you so much for coming on and we'll uh, we'll see you out there. And as we always say to the next us, hopefully he's the best us. My pleasure.